Welcome. Welcome, lovely listeners, to another episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Turner, and with me, as always, is my producer, Mason. How are things today for you, Mason? Oh, I'm doing just wonderful. Excited to talk about what we got on tech for you today. Yeah, I think it's going to be an exciting show. And we've got again to join us from a remote location, Sean Campbell. How's your life going, Sean? Oh, life's just going swimmingly, you know? Feel much better than last week. Quit my job. Things are going great. Yeah, just keep your head <laughs> above water. You'll be fine, Sean. But uh, we do have an exciting show today. Before we start, I want to remind you, if you're listening to this, go ahead and uh, subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcast catcher. And be sure to rate and review. It really helps the show. And what we're going to do today is we're going to have a discussion about what we would like to see as St. Louis City SC starts to build out and begin the structuring of the team. Also, kind of the ideas that they would go into acquiring personnel, not necessarily names per se. It's a little too early in the process, that. But it's never too early to start planning. It's never too early to start dreaming. And it's never too early to start building things that you can criticize later. <laughs> so uh, we want to start it out and tell you what we know. And what we know is very little. But Lutz Fine and Steele, the uh, sporting director, was on the St. Luligans podcast a few weeks back. And he did mention a few things. They've hired out the academy. They've already started playing, practicing on the field. So that's a good start. The academy is going to be a real focus for this team as it's becoming an MLS. It looks like St. Louis City is going to really focus on develop youth development, the ability to bring them up to the first team that helps with the budget and to sell them onto the market. Uh, the great thing about starting the academy already is they're off to a great start. They could start playing in the uh, MLS next next fall. They could play in the uh, MLS Division Three League. If that gets started, we haven't heard anything since they announced it, but that'll be all starting and the academy will be up and running before the first team ever plays a game. That's a huge head start that no other MLS franchise that I know of uh, has ever really had. Yeah, it's really exciting to see the academy already taking shape. Um, it's, I think that's going to be a big boost to the club, uh, not just going forward, but to have the have product already out on the field. Uh, some of these kids are already getting some interest from European clubs to sell on uh, some high quality talent in that academy already. Yeah, when they did announce the rosters a week or so ago, uh, one of the names there was Aaron Hurd that joined the uh, city Academy. He was formerly with the Philadelphia Union, well noted for being one of the most advanced academies, them in Dallas in uh, MLS, especially for being able to transfer and get those transfer fees and get them out of the market over to Europe or whatnot. Uh, he's, I believe, 15, already attracting uh, interest from overseas to bring them over. So he's the headline of the talent coming in. Looks like a good mix. We'll find out more, of course, once they start playing. As news comes out, it's so early in the process now. But it's something to think about, something to keep an eye on, and something to dream about. Yeah, and I I want to say that, you know, in building a strong academy, you also, if nothing else, even if they don't end up going over to Europe, you're going to have some great high-quality homegrown talent coming out onto your first team in a couple of years and getting that head start. I, I really think it's going to help us be more competitive in that first year in the league, um, which I really want to see. I, I don't want to see a, you know, you're kind of struggling to get in there, like kind of like, what was it, FC Cincinnati that had that problem? Oh, yeah. Orlando City. Mm -hmm. Minnesota. These are some of the ones that struggled out of the gate. Yeah. Enter Miami. Uh, 
they didn't seem to have a plan. There was an article that came out today, Paul Tenorio in The Athletic, about insider information, talking to some other people in the circles in MLS, talking about how they just waited too long. It's more like they worked on their branding than their team. They waited too long, and then they struggled, and they've lost their way. So just coming out this afternoon. So it's a good lesson on what not to do. And those lessons are perhaps more important than what to do. Yeah. And one thing that kind of runs through with like FC Cincinnati, Minnesota, um, those were kind of promoted USL clubs. And so they didn't have a super strong academy because they weren't coming in as like an MLS quality team, you know, trying to start out as one. They were being promoted up from USL, like where St. Louis FC was. So that is the benefit of us starting over from scratch is we don't have to, you know, bring up the entirety of the St. Louis FC structure and kind of try to hodgepodge it together into an MLS quality franchise. We can instead, you know, start fresh, start over with a brand new academy um, and start it early. And that was a problem for FC Cincinnati, Minnesota and Orlando City, all three of them, is that they were beholden to some of their USL players and it kind of held them back. Some of the other things that we know that Lutz had said is uh, to expect uh, the team to be made up of young and hungry players. Uh, not going to see any retirement players coming over from Europe, so-called retirement players, uh, have a veteran mix in there, but they're going to be aggressive, uh, oppressing type team, very high energy type team. So at least it'll be exciting the first year. If uh, perhaps not effective, time will tell on that. They're going to be very hardworking and very down to earth. He said it wanted to reflect the values of the Midwestern of St. Louis as well. And that's really what we know. That's so little, but it gives us an idea to start thinking about what's going to happen in the future. So it's time to us to start breaking down what we would like to see, what we think we'll see, and uh, what we dream of in the next few times. And the first thing we know we're going to see, we're going to, and what we'd like to see keep developing forever is a strong academy. So far, it looks good. Andreas Schumacher came in to be the head coach. He has a long history of working in the Bundesliga, uh, both the assistant coach in the first team and working with the kids. That's a strong hire. Uh, and uh, also, there is a thought. Lutz also did say that uh, do not be surprised to see some of the academy kids actually make it into the first team roster, maybe even on opening day. That might be their dream. We'll see if it actually develops that way. Uh, you know, don't just do it because you can do it. Do it because they're good enough to play. Yeah, and I would definitely say that uh, having that, having homegrown players on that opening team, if they're worthy, if you know, if they're good enough to be there, um, that the kind of, I, mean, I always say this, but the SKC proof of concept in their academy, the they call it the pathway to the pros. You know, and that's what brought Busio in, and that's why we have Daniel Shallowy absolutely tearing it up right now, pushing for that golden boot. Um, we also got guys like Cameron Duke who are just getting their chance. Harrison is getting his shot. You know, I want to see that, but with us having that start and already having the academy going, we could see that as soon as game game one, week two, even. Um, that's that's very exciting. I, I hope to see it ha actually come to fruition. Yeah, I hope so too. Not going to hold my breath. But uh, the other thing with Andreas Schumacher is he has a long history of working with the Hamburg and Stuttgart in the Bundesliga of not only being had some time as assistant coach, but also the guy in charge of bringing the young 
people from the academy up to the first team uh, playing the same system. So from day one, when they come up to the first team, they're ready to hit the ground running. The philosophy will be uh, vertical. It'll be the same through the academy all the way up. The same sort of playing philosophy. And already looking at a playing philosophy, that's something that some other teams like SC Cincinnati and Inter Miami, if they had it, they got rid of it very quickly and they panicked. Uh, Lutz did say that he's not a short-term thinker. He's more of a mid to long-term thinker. Doesn't necessarily bode that well if you're excited to see him run out of the gates very good the first year. But it does bode well for building and getting stronger and stronger every year. And uh, who knows if the philosophy's there and the academy's there and they're smart with their choices, they maybe they can pull off a Nashville and sneak into the playoffs, be stronger at the end of the year and do something. Yeah, he said all the right things in that interview with the Luligans. He said all the right things uh, at that fan event. Everything that I've heard from him, he's saying the right things. And it's certainly a good idea to have that vertically integrated philosophy and structure from first team all the way down through the academy because you have that one system that you learn while you're there and it's the same thing from from top to bottom. So players coming up who, you know, coming up from the very bottom of the academy all the way up to the first team, they know exactly what's expected of them. They're learning the same skills all the way up to the top, kind of like how Sean mentioned that that pathway to the pros thing. So there is one kind of drawback to having that vertical where it's the same style from day one till you hit first team. You can, if you have to change a coach because things just aren't going well in, in the first first team, but everything else is going fine. You then have to either decide is each team going to play a different style or are we just going to have to swap the entire academy over now to this new coach's play style. That's That can be very debilitating for a lot of guys because they're now playing in a system that does not fit them at all. Um, and I, I just think we got to be a little bit wary of that. So if you're going to pick a change the coach of the first team, you almost have to change all your coaches wholesale every time you change a coach. Yeah, Lutz did also talk about that a little bit, about how uh, he's going to be looking for an initial head coach and probably other ones that do or at least some familiarity with coaching in that system. We're going to get into the ideas of coaches a little bit later, uh, but uh, the coach is going to have to coach this philosophy of the team. Think of uh, New York Red Bulls and the way that they have a certain philosophy within the Red Bull system and they're looking for coaches to do that all the time. He did say there'd be some flexibility, but uh, essentially it'd just be minor tweaks within the overall team philosophy. Well, we'll have to see how that actually works out in real time. Yeah, but when you're trying to find a coach, you got to try and find somebody who's actually amenable to changing their coaching style to fit that structure that's already been set up from all the coaches that have come before them, all the all the, the kind of bricklayers the, and all that. Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit later. I want to go over the coaching in another segment. But uh, coming off of the Strong Academy, another initiative that MLS started, the under-22 sort of DPs, or as we're going to call it, the young money players. These are uh, up to three on a team. They're budget-friendly. You can't spend that much on them, but you are able, able to spend outside of the normal structures of the MLS roster rules. And uh, it's good to utilize that. That's a way of bringing in players, uh, good players that can fill out your roster. They'll be able to utilize this benefit 
from the get-go like Charlotte's going to be able to do when they come in next year. That's a real advantage in building your team is you can sign these guys, keep your designated players, the big ones, the big budget ones, uh, dry for veteran presence or somewhere you really need it or need to spend more. But you're able to bring in you know, high thought of talent, especially big in South America, that's finding MLS to be a real gateway into Europe and bigger things. And they're liking the idea of staying in the Western Hemisphere and coming up to MLS. It's a way of perhaps finding talent that way. Not all of them are going to hit, but it's a way of getting high talent at a lower cost that's budget friendly. Uh, it also, like I mentioned, it keeps the designated player spots free, the DPs. I don't expect any flashy DP signings. Lutz pretty much said that as well. Uh, you want to, as a startup, I would like to see him keep that DP powder dry. You need to sign one or two uh, on that with the possibility of them being MLS veteran presence, uh, MLS known players, perhaps in a strong like center back role. We saw what Nashville did by bringing in Walker Walker Zimmerman, if I can speak, uh, and taken away from LAFC, LAFC's defense fell apart. Nashville became very strong on defense with a couple other veterans they signed and took them all the way to the playoffs from the first year. I would say a designated player uh, that's a MLS known quantity, if you can use some of the TAM money, because as a startup team, they're going to have tons of TAM money to spend. Steal a player from another team, money whip them, so to speak, get them signed on a nice contract. But then as time goes along and you need something more, it'd probably be a contract since they're within MLS that they'll be able to use that uh, target ad allocation money to then buy down their contract, get them out of the DP slot when you're ready to, you know, sign somebody bigger when you know what the team is like. I was going to say, it's almost like uh, it's almost like you're coming in and just poaching a guy that you know is going to you can really build a team around would be a good idea here um for for one of the slots then you take another dp slot and get that veteran presence to be your captain the other guy's just the guy that all the play goes around um i think that would that could be a decent decent enough strategy because then you've got your future set you're going to build a team around this guy and you also have that veteran leadership to start you off someone that knows the league that can be like hey look we're going up against this team we're going to be in this building we got to know this 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 xyz Get everything set PDQ and then, you know, you can spend the entire week training that way. And then when it comes to game day, your your young signing on the on the other DP spot just absolutely steals the show. It just puts on an absolute absolute bonanza. It's just it, I think that could be absolutely wonderful if executed properly. Yes, that's the key. Uh, there is a little known fact among the cognoscente of MLS that MLS talent is good. The talent level in the league has grown appreciably, and a talent level within the U.S. has grown quite a bit. But there, there's still a lot of thinking out there among the front offices to, to spend a lot of money for foreign-based players to come in. There's a lot of MLS players out there that are very good, are someone that you can bring in. They're undervalued. They're budget-friendly. It's something to look at. Uh, especially on the ones you don't want to spend a lot of money, generally like on your defense, holding midfielder, things of that nature that you can get away with and uh, keep your powder and your money and your TAM money dry to use on 
the very important, the really talent-specific points on the field, and you'd still get somebody that's good, knows what they're doing, tough, and knows how to lead a team. That's going to be important, especially if you're going young and hungry. Uh, you need somebody that can get up to speed, knows the league, knows the stadiums. That People don't think about that. These young kids won't even know where to drive to, what would they walk in, where the locker room's going to be. Uh, you know, a veteran can really help out with that as well. Yeah, definitely on that. Um, the veteran, it's not even just that. It's also having a guy come in and say, hey, guys, just so you know, we're going to Seattle. We're going to be playing Sounders at away. This is what you need to expect because if you're not if if you're not ready for that kind of intense fan environment, that's what makes that environment so difficult to play in. But having a guy that's played there year after year and knows what to expect, that's going to be key. Getting these guys mentally prepared so that you know if they make a mistake and they start getting heckled like crazy, they're not going to break and abs- and just fall apart. You know, wheels off the bus right on the pitch. They're going to be able to hold it together and actually be able to be like, okay, made the mistake, put it away. I got a job to do Mm -hmm. and focus. And that is another big part of that. Uh, Just look at what happened to FC Cincinnati when they brought in Jeff Cameron. Kind of past his prime. Uh, They're still leaking goals. They're still not a good team. But as soon as he came in, got the back line organized, probably yelled at people in training about them being lazy, (laughs) probably also took time to support them when they looked down, they got better immediately as soon as he came in. So a veteran leader on the back line really can do a lot for a young team and an unsettled team that doesn't play well together. It's going to be very hard to implement, as uh, Josh Wolf has seen in Austin, very hard to implement a attacking presence uh, unless you're Atlanta United or LAFC that spin like that, I do not see City doing that. It's you're going to have to focus on defense, be hard to beat, and uh, then try to get the goals when you can. Yeah, that's. I, I think the easiest comparison we can make for our St. Louis friends here is what what we're looking for. Uh, so you get an idea is we're looking for a, a Yachty, we're looking for a Wayno, or heck, if we can get both, that'd be even better. <laughs> but we're looking for someone like that that is good, has been there a while, and just them being there makes everyone around them better because they know what it takes to be better. And if we can find that Wayno or that Yachty, I think we're in for a wonderful treat. Yeah, because uh, Nashville got Walker Zimmerman and Dax McCarty in their defense, and them alone have settled them down. They played tight defense, kept them on the field, and they grew and grew and grew. Of course, when they started their first season last year, they were horrible on offense. They basically had none. We've seen Austin this year. They play very pretty out of the back. They get the ball in front of goal. Nobody can score. If there's one place that money will be have to be uh, splashed, as we found out, is they're going to have to find try to find a proven scorer. And uh, there's proven scorers out in Europe. South America, they've come into the league and they haven't been able to get the job done. You got to be able to get the ball to them. And they're not perhaps not used to the physical athleticism uh, that MLS brings in its style of play. So if there's one place with that striker, you might want to go out, but you don't want to overspend. I mean, if you can find somebody that you know is going to score, you might as well throw the money at them. If you can win games in your first season to get off to a good start, that 
that means a lot to your franchise. It means a lot to dragging players in, not only to the first team, but also into the academy. They'll want to be associated with the team. But that's an iffy thing in MLS. But you'd still need somebody that needs to be able to score goals, score goals that first season. Be important to actually find somebody who can actually feed that striker some goals, though. You can't just go splash a bunch of casts, get the get the best striker in the league, but have absolutely nobody in the midfield or anywhere else that can actually get the ball to them and just leave them stranded. That's just a complete waste of your funds. And that's the problem with a, starting out a team from scratch is you've got to fill every position and hope they all hit and they play well together and fit together. Uh, you can look at all you want and do the scouting and see how they do. But until they get on the field, do they have a, you know, that chemistry that they figure out where the other one's going to run? Do they actually like each other and not a problem in the clubhouse or the dressing room? Uh, it's, it's tough to start out. Things can go horribly wrong at the beginning, even with best laid plans. It's something to keep in mind. Yeah. And I definitely would say that, uh, even if you look at, the, even if you look at the top leagues in Europe, they can go out and they can buy all the best players at any position they want. And, put them in their team and they think, okay, this guy plays a, the kind of position that we want him to play at our, at our squad. But in the end, they end up not performing because they just either a don't fit with the rest of the guys. B they don't fully fit into the actual play style you want or C. Um, I actually forgot what my C is, <laughs> but <laughs> no, you can bring in the best guy ever. And if he doesn't mesh with the team, it's, it's not going to make any better and it can arguably make you worse. And I've seen it happen to a lot of teams that were pushing for champions league. And then next thing you know, they're, they're out the next year. Didn't even make it because they spent too much on the wrong guy. Yeah. We've seen it in the MLS as well. Uh, RSL has a striker. They spent on can't score Chicago fire have one that just isn't putting numbers up. Uh, there's a lot of teams out there. Uh, so if you're going to buy a striker from overseas, it's going to put it in. Don't go cheap. Uh, you're going to have to really spend the money to do that. I don't know if this management team's willing to do it. It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing we got to keep an eye on. I would either like to see him find somebody in MLS. Uh, like Jeremy Obobese went to uh, the Quakes. Wasn't being utilized properly in the Timbers organization with Portland. They went and grabbed him. That had been a great guy to start off a team with. Somebody that's talented, not proven, but probably is going to be able to do it. And if not, can play on the wing, can do other things. Maybe MLS talent. Maybe there's somebody out there that they can pick up when the time comes. But really, we're about a year away from even starting to think about those things. Also, looking at uh, veteran talent, the cornerback, the veteran leadership, there's one name out there, Tim Ream at Fulham. Did not have a good year in the Premier League last year. Hardly played. But Fulham wanted him back to play in the championship in the English uh, setup this year because they thought he was still good enough. And apparently he's looked very good in the first game. He's played well. Uh, he may have something left. He's a St. Louis boy. And uh, he's spoken in the past about perhaps ending his career in St. Louis. It could be something filling a roster spot. Maybe he solidifies a shaky back line. Maybe he doesn't play much, but that's your veteran leadership in and out in the dressing room and on the field. I definitely would say that uh, as as much as I am not a fan of Tim Ream, I just I, I don't know what it is. I'm just not a fan of him. 
Uh, hate me all you want, St. Louis. I don't care. Um, <laughs> but I definitely think that if you're going to go for someone that's not just quote unquote veteran, but is if you're going to spend any money on anybody that's a retirement player from Europe, it's it's he'd be a great pick because um, he's got that veteran leadership. He knows not only what it is to play in the MLS, but also in the na- on the national level, international level. So he's got a dearth of knowledge that he can just. Dearth is that the right word? No, I think you wanted the opposite. He's got t- the anti dearth. <laughs> <laughs> well, the birth. I think I should have just gone with wealth, like I wanted to. I tried yes. to sound smarter than I actually am. It's okay, <laughs> but he's he's got a lot there. He knows what it takes to make great teams. He knows how to interact with a lot of different guys and a lot of different personality types. I think he'd be a very good centering present, especially being in the center back role. Um, and he performed well at the international level, and I've I. Obviously, he's good enough because he went to Europe and he's still over there playing at the age of 33 years old and mm-hmm. he's still playing second tier, but still in second tier Europe in England, especially. That's pretty good. So I'd say that'd be the one retirement player you'd be willing to spend money on. Yeah, if you're judging MLS against other leagues in the world, MLS is better than all the second leagues except the championship. It is one of the best leagues in the world and they spend a lot on their players. So for Fulham, who is looking to bounce back and go back to the Premier League pretty quickly, for them to hold on to him, maybe he's not, he's lost some speed that he never really had. Uh, and all this, he's probably not Premier League material at this stage of the game, but he's certainly championship level and that's good enough for MLS. Plus, what will the price be for Tim Ream to come home and what's going to be at the end of his career? It could be that he isn't a big spend, more of a middling spend. That would be a good buy. I would hope that maybe he takes like the, the Pat Maroon route and takes a bit of a, a hometown discount. <laughs> um, and who knows, maybe he does. And we just blow everyone out of the water, win that M- MLS Cup that first year. And then he's like, I don't want that hometown discount anymore. And then goes somewhere else and wins two MLS cups back to back. And then, you know, we've got two guys that did the exact same thing. He goes, uh, yeah, he comes home, takes a discount, plays for a year. We win the, we win the cup. And then, uh, yeah. And then he goes to the Tampa Bay bolts and wins two Stanley cups in a row. (laughs) Just do the exact same thing. Yeah. Except for Tim Ream, it would be him coming here, playing for a year and then going to like, I don't know. Enter Miami. Yeah, going no, 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 not it. Maybe geographically, but if we're speaking strictly on talent level, he's probably going somewhere like Nashville or Philly and winning two cups back to back with them, and then who knows where he goes from there. But uh, if Tim Ream comes here, I think he stays for a long. I think time. he should do the exact same thing as Pat Maroon, and after he wins the cup here, just go to the Tampa Bay Lightning. <laughs> yeah, that would make news. That would make headlines. <laughs> Tim Ream on skates, baby. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not the first time the Lightning have done something crazy like that. I mean, they absolutely wonderful that they did this, but way back when they did have a female goalie on their roster during oh, preseason. Oh, I remember that. I remember reading about that. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't expect that from uh, St. Louis City, but uh, when it comes to goalkeepers, they're kind of important. But as Austin's seen, you get a guy that's been a ba- lifetime backup in Brad Stuber. He's been lights out for Austin this season. They can be found somewhere. Uh, maybe Jonathan Bond of the LA Galaxy will be available then because 
Klinsman's son came in and just destroyed that game. He was so great this past week in that game. Oh, my goodness, yes. Klinsman's kid, just absolute goalie clinic in that game. I I don't know how he did it, but (laughs) props to you, L.A., for stopping the absolute Minnesota. I'll get into it later, I'm sure, in my weekend wrap-up. Minnesota United was just relentless in their attack. Klinsman kept them out. Yeah, he won the game. It was was great to watch. But uh, going back a little bit, um, it's not just career backups, but you can look at SKC and their experience. When they lost Grunebaum to retirement, the Hebrew Hammer, oh, I miss him so much. Um, they went and they picked up an MLS pool goalkeeper. So, like, when you, it, it's basically the same thing as the emergency goaltender in hockey. Like, a guy that's just sitting up in the stands, but if somebody goes down, they have to suit up and uh, um, what was the guy's name for? Uh, he works for Toronto, but played for Carolina. Oh yeah, and beat his own team. I don't remember his name either. But wasn't he the Zamboni driver? Yeah, he, for their minor league club. But anyway, Tim Melia was in the pool. So if they, if any MLS team had a goalie go down, they didn't have a backup. He would suit. They could pick anybody from this group of goalies, and they'd suit up and be the backup. We picked him up, made him our starter. And then he was lights out goaltender of the year that year. And he even got talks about being called up to the U S national team, but he was, a, he's a bit too old for that. But Melia keeps continuing to be lights out. And sometimes you just have to find the right team, the right environment. And, you know, you build out from the back. And, and, uh, you know, Tim Kelly is the goalkeepers coach for the city Academy. And he's very highly regarded in youth coaching, especially in the St. Louis area with all their youth development uh, teams around there. Uh, Maybe we've got one on the roster that can do that or start the season as the backup. And then if things aren't going well, it comes out of nowhere. We'll have to see. Goalkeeper is not really the highest priority. It's just, you know, a good one, just a good one will be good enough. A bad one will be noticed immediately. It's a almost a thankless task. You're either exceptional, you're just a goalkeeper, or you're terrible. You know, any of those. Sort of like being a referee. And no, all referees are terrible. (laughs) I have not seen a good one yet. So we spoke a lot about the players, the system that's all involved. Uh, We're a long ways away. There's no way to really start thinking about names. But the next one we're going to look at is the head coach of the first team. That's perhaps going to be the, well, you would hope that it would be the first hire, not do an enter Miami and hire them after you've already started to get your DPs and you don't even know what style you're going to play. That doesn't fit in Lutz's system. Hopefully they do things smarter than that. But we do know one thing Lutz did tell us. He's looking for a coach that's going to play this sort of pressing, aggressive style. And one thing I really want to see is a coach that really knows MLS. They keep proving to be winners. Uh, What doesn't work is if you get a European sporting director and a European or international coach, it just has not played very well in this league, especially to start. So if Lutz has extra time to learn the league since because of the pandemic delay of the year, but uh, really like to see somebody that knows MLS to begin with. Uh, There's not a lot of coaches out there that come off the top of the head with a, 
you know, knowledge on how to play this sort of pressing style, uh, aggressive style. Probably there's quite a few that could uh, adapt. There's uh, teams out there like New York Red Bulls that play this style. Probably, I don't know if Lutz wants to play it that, you know, aggressively. Uh, and uh, maybe there's assistance out there. Boy, you don't want to, you know, Pandeda just went to Atlanta. We're expecting good things. But do you really want an assistant to start the team? As I look at coaches that have the resume, there's one guy out there that uh, coached the Red Bulls, uh, trained under Jesse Marsh, knows that sort of system, how that game is played, and didn't do so well after a couple of years. And then he just went to Toronto and really didn't do well there. And that's Chris Armas. Oh, the resume looks good. Apparently, you can talk it up in the interview process, but proof of concept with him, I, I don't know. I just don't know. You have any thoughts on Chris Armas, Sean? I mean, I, I really don't know too much about him, uh, so I can't speak on that. Uh, I don't know what coaches from MLS are available at the time, um, but I definitely think we need to get someone more domestic than getting someone over in Europe because if you pick someone from Europe, you're basically playing European styles through and through. There is no mixing up ideas, and it's not going to mesh well with MLS. Um I, I just hope they don't try to poach one of the guys that's already established in a place in MLS. I would like to see, though, maybe uh, finding an assistant in a very good system and poaching them, giving them a chance to be the number one. Um, I, I don't I don't have any again, no names come off the top of my head. I don't really know much about coaches in MLS, but. I, I think that might be a good place to start looking. Kind of, kind of like you're poaching the young guys. You're also going to poach the assistant coach and give him the reins and let him see what he does. There might be a couple out there. The names escapes me. There's a couple out there. Pineda with the Sounders. Uh, he was thought of as the next head coach. Atlanta just grabbed him, and a smart move for Atlanta considering the dumb moves they've made lately. And there's a lot of those. Yeah. Uh, Josh Wolf is a rookie head coach with Austin. Uh, the record isn't bad, uh, isn't good. Excuse me. The record isn't good. Uh, their style of play is pretty. Uh, they just don't have anybody that can put the ball in the net. And uh, he seems to have set the team up well. It's it's hard because you got an assistant coach that has no head coach experience. Now they're going to be thrust in starting up a team. That's a lot to ask. Uh it can work. Josh Wolf, of course, had years of experience uh, under Burhalter. Was expected to join the men's national team setup, but he didn't. He elected to go ahead and become a head coach himself. Mm, a pl- uh, someone like that with years of experience, well thought of, other teams want. Perhaps it would work. On that, uh, there could be other coaches out there. I think of uh, Ronnie Dyla of. New York City FC, he still hasn't found a team, but I don't know if he how well he's entrenched in playing the sort of system that Lutz does, because he used to be Pep's right-hand man, Pep Guardiola. That's a, not really the same system. Yeah, that's fair. I just want to say on this, on a side note, though, um, I, I just really hope we don't pick one of the older style MLS coaches. Um, well, because <laughs> like, like we saw a regression after Klinsman left at the national team level because we brought in a previous U.S. men's national team coach. 
So he tried to start coaching the team in the in his style that players no longer fit that style. And I just don't the MLS as a whole as the meta goes, I don't want to see us playing a style that was played 10 years ago because the game is completely different in the league now than it was way back then. Um so in Arena's defense, he's done pretty well with New England, though. And that's fair. But, you know, Bruce Arena is just MLS number one. Well, 1A in my book. No, he's 1B in my book. Sorry, I have to correct myself. Um, but that's some guys are just good at club level. Some guys are just good at national level. And But either way, I, I don't want to see us picking a coach that coached way back when it's like oh well they were a good coach then and they're still kind of looking for a team i think we need to pick someone now who's in a system that kind of fits the style of play we want to play pull the assistant be like hey look this is your chance to be the guy making the big decisions and see how it works but yeah i do not want to see say a dom Kinnear come in a uh, jason christ no oh god no please no yeah there's a few of those old names, but most of them are getting all pretty well washed out of the league. Uh, how about Precky? He's with Seattle. <laughs> He's a name. He's Ooh. a no-name in MLS. He's a no-name in St. Louis. <laughs> I yeah. love me some Precky. I'm still salty that he's up there. Yeah. But we don't know. Well, he did head coach of uh, STLFC for what, one season? Uh, and maybe two. Yeah, he was and I was very happy about that. Yeah, but he was a name. He was head coach when uh, when I started following that team. Um, and I, it's Precky. You, you can't exactly be that upset. But uh, yeah, the club wasn't exactly great under his leadership. He left after a couple of years and uh, they brought in Anthony Poulos, I think, to replace him. And uh, the, the club did a lot better under Poulos than they did under Precky. Yeah, I believe Poulos has gone back to Premier League or the Championship. I believe he's an assistant head coach there, but I haven't looked that up in a long time. I can't be sure, but I don't think Poulos is in the U.S. anymore. Just make sure we don't sign Jose Mourinho. <laughs> you want your team to be terrible? Sign Jose Mourinho. <laughs> well, here's the thing. They're going to play the oh, kids. No. And there's going to be a lot of kids with the academy, so the coach will have to be someone that's astute at not just setting up the team and, you know, setting the tactics, but also going to have to train some of these guys as well. There's going to be some teaching, and not all head coaches do that, especially at the first division. It's not really part of their—some of them are like Mourinho. They're not interested in doing that so much. They want the finished product to come to the first team. So we're down to the last thing we'd like to talk about, wrapping up our thoughts about uh, what St. Louis City should be, and that's what our visions are of success in the first season. Well, everybody wants to see them win, go to the playoffs. 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 <laughs> I'm talking about playoffs? We just need a win. <laughs> we just need a win. Playoffs. <laughs> want to talk about playoffs? <laughs> not a game, not a game, not a game. We talk about practice. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, realistically... What I, from what I heard from Lutz, sort of his philosophy, his mid to long term thinking, I expect him to come out probably young, uh, very aggressive. They should be fun. They should be very hard working. I don't know how many goals they're going to score. I don't know how many mistakes are going to be made in that type of system. 
till they really get it down. So it could be that wins will be hard to come by, but the play on the field will be fun and exciting. And uh, the other thing I hope is that they really play much better at home than on the road. That uh, if anything else, give me a team that's hard to beat at home, even if they're bad on the road. There's a lot of MLS teams like that. Yeah, I think if they're good at home. Not sporting KC. <laughs> well, you shut up. You. Road Warriors, baby. <laughs> shut You'll up. You'll have here. your moment here soon. Yeah. Um, no, I just, <laughs> if they're good at home, that's going to be a really good boost to the fan base. Because, like, I've talked about this um, off air quite a bit, just in general, about this club coming into anybody that would listen. But. When you bring a team into St. Louis, you kind of have 2 million fans baked in, but a lot of those aren't going to be bought in until that team starts winning, or some might never really buy in past the playoffs. But um, uh, if they can perform well at home and, you know, show the people in St. Louis that, like, you know, this is a team worth supporting, a team worth following, a lot of those, like, kind of 2 million built-in fans, so to speak are going to start to buy in and start to show a lot more interest in in the club. Um, I'm not expecting the kind of season that we saw, you know, with the last big expansion franchise in the in St. Louis with the Blues, where we go to the playoffs three times in a row in our first three years. That would be ridiculous to expect that. But if they can play well at home and be fun, I think that would be good and like, you know, not just good enough, but great for a first-year team. Honestly, well, first of all, Mason, part of the reason we made it to the Stanley Cup Finals, not just the playoffs the first three years, was the whole fact that one division was strictly the expansion six. But that's another talk for another podcast. Um, no, I all I really want to see out of City uh, the first year or two is I want to see a fun match. I don't care if it's two two draws every game i don't care if it's a you know three one loss every now and again i want to see a fun game i want to see an active midfield and honestly if we're going formation wise if we're getting into that already i want to see us have a a back three a back three that could be yeah that kind of fits in that uh european type pressing system uh, but you got to have the you got to be able to get the center backs that can play it too. And oh yeah, MLS wise, that can be hard to find. Right, but if you get three, if you can get three strong center backs that are MLS ready, uh, with Tim Ream being that center center back, I think we can do it. Um, they're decent enough wing backs, um, or you could go the route of Graham Zusi and convert a wing mid to being a wing back. And then next thing you know, they're just even better. Um, but I would love to see a back three and then, you know, a five in the middle in like a diamond formation or a pentagon and then a striker up top. I think that'd be a very fun system to run. You got the back three that are solid. You know, they're going to, you know, hold that line. You've got your wing backs flying up and down the sides. You have your your holding mids. And then you have your attacking mid, who's almost a false striker. And as long as your number nine checks back into the midfield and makes some plays, makes some passes, kind of like an Alan Polito, you know, that's a very, very dangerous uh, setup 
in this in this league, I think, because a lot of teams don't really have dominant midfields. There are a few out there, but not a lot. And if you can dominate that midfield and hold that possession while still making it look fun, that's what I want to see. And there's a whole lot of teams that haven't been able to figure it out much less in their first season. So that's a lot to ask for there, Sean. <laughs> but we'll see. Oh, I, I fully expect it to take forever to actually get perfected. But with the right coach, the right players, it could take as few as four seasons before we really make a deep run into the playoffs with that formation. And uh, the other thing also when it comes to this, their success, is we don't know anything about the St. Louis City management. Uh, a lot of the talk and things that I'm seeing lead me to believe that they're not going to really go out and like to spend a lot of money. Uh, even if they can attract them, fit them in, I don't see them really slotting holes by throwing cash at it. I could be wrong. It could be a different way that they go, but uh, I'm just not going to, I'm not looking at them to be a big spending club. Uh, even if it's transfer fees for DPs. Yeah, if you could go and get Alan Polito out of uh, Liga Emekis, you get anybody that can score out of Liga Emekis. It's a great place to get them. But they're paid very well there. I don't know if the salary requirements of those players are going to fit in what City wants to do. I just don't see it so far. Especially not right off the bat, I don't think. I think the only way it works, if you uh, you might be able to make it work and you pull a young, good-scoring striker out of League Mekis and use that as your one of your DP spots, Like you may not have to poach from MLS because, as we've seen with Polito, he's... Still, he may not be as prolific of a scorer up here, but he's still scoring at an incredible rate. And so it, it that kind of a game transfers well. But then again, he's also more of a all-around number nine, where again, he checks back into the midfield. He'll make plays. He has that hold-up ability. You know, he he's not just playing that center spot, Chicharito style, sitting in the box, waiting for a ball where he can just poach the goal every time, which is... Honestly, I wonder why he's not starting for the Mexican national team. But different talk, different podcast. Yeah, and uh, also when it comes down to it, Liga Emekis is great because they really seem to translate in the MS MLS game. But the stars like that are coming in are generally much older, more veteran. They're, they've had their time. They've got tired of rabid fan bases, and more especially rabid media, and they kind of look to come to the u.s some of them you even mentioned being in the u.s to raise their kids getting young talented people out of liga emekis i just don't see it because they want to hold on to them uh they don't give them up at all ever even to europe you know they'll take a young kid that they want and they slap a 20 million dollar tag on them they're not going to pay that mls certainly isn't going to pay it i'd love to see it the the games mesh well together. There's been a lot of success, more than perhaps anywhere other than Argentina, uh, foreign countries coming in MLS. I just don't see that happening. It'd be, it's a pipe dream. Yeah. It's a pipe dream. That's all it is. <laughs> but that uh, kind of wraps up what we, at least our thoughts on what we're thinking to come from St. Louis City SC. And uh, for the next segment, we're going to throw it to Sean, even though he's had more than his moment talking about Sporting KC. <laughs> we'll give him a moment here, a few sentences, and we won't ask him to bring up what happened in the League's Cup with that 6-1 thrashing <laughs> that Peter Vermees uh, chose the league over the cup. We won't bring that up. You just had 
to go there. Of course I did. I wasn't even going to take my moment to talk about SKC, and you had to drag him through the mud like that. I was going to be actually, you know, unbiased for once and do a weekend wrap-up because there was a lot that happened this weekend. And boy, howdy, did we have one heck of a match of the week. Yeah, we we want to touch on that one. Seattle, Portland. Yeah. Oh, yes. Most teams only get three world-class bangers goals from outside of the box in a season. Seattle had it in one game. Heck, were they all in one half? Uh, most of them, yes. That was something else. Oh, yes. 6-2 Seattle over Portland, everyone, if you missed it. And you shouldn't have missed it. This is... This is what I will call the match of the week. And if anyone disagrees with me, you can fight me. I'll, I'll fight you. <laughs> PK shootout. I'll beat you, I promise. Um, but this match of the week, abs- this is, I have to start out by saying, this is the Cascadia Cup. This is what a derby is. This is what rivalry is. These two teams hate each other. They play each other all the time. And this is the only sport that these two cities and Vancouver, who's the other team in this in this quote-unquote cup, it's the only sport that all three of them have, have a team in. Although, well, no, not even hockey, because Portland doesn't have a hockey team. But they don't like each other. Games get chippy. Think Cardinals-Cubs. Think Yankees-Red Sox. This game was an absolute classic. Uh, Sounders came out hot and heavy, scored two goals in the first 30 minutes. Freddie Montero being Freddie Montero, doing what Freddie Montero does best. Boy, was it great. Portland got one back just before, you know, like 10 minutes before halftime. So they're going in 2-1. You expect that. It's going okay. But then you get into the second half. (laughs) They tie it up. But then it was all Sounders, baby. And I hate the Sounders. But it was all Sounders. Well, I just I wanted to touch on um, uh, just like in that first half in particular, Portland was really holding that possession. They had the ball most of the half, but every time they would make even the slightest mistake, Seattle would just come back and punish them right away. That's how you got those bang, bang, two goals right away. Oh, yeah. That's that vicious counterattack. And the talent. Portland's not lacking for talent, but Seattle just has it perhaps more top to bottom through all 23 on the rosters more than anyone else in the league. And I don't think that's really debatable. Yeah, no, if talent were if talent were cards, Portland's got it in diamonds. Sporting's got it in hearts. And then Seattle's got it in spades, baby. Like, I cannot lie. Greatness recognizes greatness. Seattle's just that whole system, their whole organization is just mind blowing. And I, I hate them, but I respect them. Especially because they can throw this 6-2 thrashing on Portland (laughs) and have their fans cheering so loud in Portland that you can hear Sounders chants drowning out Portland Timbers chants and their damn chainsaw. I hope the St. Luligans and other all the uh, city supporter groups were watching that game because Portland, they brought the TIFO game again. Starting it off with their TIFOs, they're great. Always. Uh, St. Louis City 
FC or St. Louis FC had a great game and we're expecting it to be much bigger and they're already talking about it. Especially for a USL club, the Luligans were oh, yeah. really ace in the TIFO game for USL. But this is the 100th meeting between teams called Portland Timbers and Seattle Sounders. It, it goes way back before MLS. There was a lot of meetings before these teams were called that between these two cities, but it's the 100th matchup just the, those team names. Uh, we were, yeah, you don't start off with that unless you're in the Northwest. Yeah. I just have one more thing from this game before we go. Absolute goal of the season candidate from Jimmy oh, Madron. Can we just, if you have not seen this goal yet, are you living under a rock? Because you need to go watch YouTube and find this goal <laughs> straight from the corner kick. And it goes all the way across far post, far corner of the box. And Jimmy just comes streaking in full volley, far down ski boys. What a goal. That thing was moving supersonic. Like That's I, what you love When I watched see. that, I felt like every other time I had called a goal a bullet, I was exaggerating. <laughs> yeah, that was a rocket. Yes. <laughs> other things around MLS, one thing that caught my eye, did you catch the end of that uh, Red Bulls CF Montreal game? Oh, yes. The Are penalty we? kick oh, my goodness. in extra time. The, yeah, the third time the Which charm on the one? PK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the three... The first two, well, first of all, two players for Montreal were fighting over who gets the kick. Uh, Mason Toys is the chosen penalty kick kicker. Uh, Johnson drew the uh, foul, so he fought him off. He took it, and Cornell of Red Bulls made the save. Then they don't start. Then the guy ref puts a hand to his ear. And he goes and looks and called it off. He was off his line. So then Toy gets his shot. He gets his shot. Cornell saves it. They go to the monitor. He's off his line. So finally, they bring in Victor Waniyama, formerly of Tottenham. Oh, yes. Uh, I remember the, him fondly. Uh, the veteran DP, who's actually having a very good year as a veteran DP, by the way, uh, comes in. Makes the worst penalty kick of the three, and Cornell kind of flubs it. It goes in. Penalty kick scored, and that one counted. In true uh, Onyama style. <laughs> yeah, that was true MLS right there. Third time's the charm. <laughs> Outside of that, I think the only thing that really caught my eye was the Nashville game. Oh, they absolutely took it to DC United. And DC United Ooh. was hot coming in, playing very well mm -hmm. in Nashville. They scored in wow. the third minute. They scored in the third minute. And then it was basically all Nashville, baby. Just an absolute beatdown. <laughs> if St. Louis City can come anywhere near in their first year and a half doing what Nashville's done, we will be ecstatic. That would be a huge win. It would win. be a mega success. Yeah, they started off shoring up their defense. Then they added to the offense. They got coached up. Gary Smith... He's a good long-term coach in the MLS, plays a defensive style, but he knows how to win and win big games, and it's showing. Uh, I'd be ecstatic if we can match Nashville. For sure. Yeah. 
Anything else, folks? Otherwise, we're going to wrap this up. I think that's about all I got. All right. That does it for this week's episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. Be sure to uh, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It helps us a lot. And uh, hopefully see how many. We'll keep uh, this one tabbed. I want to see how much of our vision actually becomes what the team does. But, of course, we won't find out for a while. But it's always good to start thinking ahead. So for Sean Campbell uh, and myself, Mike Turner, and producer Mason, we'll see you next week. Bye for now.